Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, I'm Emily Tampkin, and you're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking with Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. Ambassador Yovanovitch is a senior fellow in the Russia and Eurasia program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. She spent decades in the U.S. State Department, lastly as the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine. And she is also the author of a memoir called Lessons from the Edge. Ambassador, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I really appreciate the honor. So I do want to speak about Ukraine and about Russia's war there. This is going out on Monday, but the day that we're recording it, the January 6th hearings are ongoing. We just heard about basically Trump encouraging armed riot attenders to be allowed through and to hopefully, in his mind, go to the Capitol. You were also caught up in another Trump scheme. Basically, for listeners who aren't familiar, Ambassador Yovanovitch was serving as ambassador in Ukraine, was smeared as being a a Soros agent, and was pushed out from her job after decades of service. Have you been following the hearings and what have you made of them? I have been following the hearings. And it's we can still say this, it's shocking. It is shocking that there has been January 6th was bad enough when we saw looters and rioters overcoming the Capitol Police at the citadel of our democracy. That was bad enough. And I thought that's all there was to it. But what we have come to understand is that there was a conspiracy uh, reaching up to the highest levels of the government at the time. The hallmark of a democracy is the peaceful transfer of power. That is the absolute core of what a democracy is about. There are many other things as well, but that is the core of it. And in 2020, 2021, we failed at that. And I would say, not to make it all about me and events that I was involved in, but Trump is unique in that he is the only U.S. president that has been impeached twice. He is also the only president that has not been convicted twice. And I think there's a straight line from not being held accountable for what he did the first time, which was use the power of his office, the U.S. presidency, for his personal and political gain. Not for the good of the American people, but his first personal gain, 
when he tried to put the arm on President Zelensky to investigate the Biden family, who he thought would he thought Joe Biden would be his rival, and he turned out to be correct in that assumption. This was not for the good of the American people. It was for his own personal use. He was using his the, the office of the presidency for that. That is, again, the essence of corruption, right? When you're using your office for personal gain. And um, he was not held accountable for that. So moving forward, he was just emboldened and kept on going. And the result was what we saw in 2021 in terms of not accepting the results of a free and fair election. This is what, part of what I wanted to ask you is, do you think that people, so be that members of his own party and his own administration, be that Democrats, be that members of the press, be that the American public, do you think that we really took the lessons from the first impeachment, from Trump trying to pressure the leader of another country for his own domestic political gain? Did we really internalize the lessons from that impeachment in the year that came between that and the second impeachment? Trump didn't win the elections, despite everything he and his supporters say. And I think part of that was that people didn't, the voters, enough of the voters did internalize that lesson. But there is a solid core that is not willing to accept the facts uh, as they are. And then there is another group of people, including those around the president, those in the Republican Party, that choose to ignore the facts and perpetuate the big lie. President Biden at the G7 spoke about democracy and the example of our democracy. And this is one of the themes of this administration is democracy countering and authoritarianism and showing that democracy is robust enough to do. Obviously, the United States is working on its own democracy right now with these hearings, with protests that are going on across the country, with it, we could go on. Do you think that the United States is setting the sort of democratic example that it needs to right now? I think that it's clear that we too are struggling with our democracy and making a more perfect union, as they say. And I think that we are still able to show an example because there are still so many wonderful things about the United States and our democracy. It doesn't mean that we are without flaws. It doesn't mean that we don't have significant challenges and that we need to work on them. But holding up the banner of democracy helping other countries with their democracy, maybe learning from other countries about how they have worked through significant challenges. I think that is still completely within our purview because we don't we don't help countries with their struggling democracies because we are a perfect country, because we are a perfect democracy. We do it because we think it's in their interests and frankly also because it is in ours. Because the more democracy, the United States has better partnerships with democracies. And so that is in our interest. But we also truly believe that it is in the interest of those people to have a government that represents them. What I mean, one incredible, incredibly clear example of this right now is Ukraine, which is quite literally fighting to to be a democracy and for its democracy. What have you made of the Biden administration's or the response of the U.S. and its partners and allies to Russia's war in Ukraine? I think that actually I'm quite impressed. This is about the only thing I can say. I think that if you and I had this conversation in January of this year, we would never have anticipated the robust response of the United States, of NATO, and of all the allies combined. We just wouldn't have because we've blown through every barrier week after week of the sorts of things that we are ready to do, whether it's on the economic side, whether it's on the humanitarian assistance, and certainly on the security assistance side. And I think I think that the Biden administration has managed that really narrow channel uh, between, on the one hand, supporting Ukraine, deterring Russia, 
and reinforcing the eastern flank of NATO, and on the other hand, not broadening the war in ways that I think none of us want because it would mean a very volatile and dangerous situation. I think one thing that some are concerned about is that Russia clearly did not expect Ukraine to defend itself as well as it has, but the war is still ongoing. Ukraine has not won this war yet. And as it goes on, it becomes more expensive, first and foremost, for Ukrainians, but also for Americans, for Europeans, etc. What would you say to those who are concerned that support will waver as the war goes on? Yeah, what I would say is that, and I get it, we're all fatigued, but the Ukrainians are the most fatigued of all, if I may just say, because they're the ones that are fighting and dying and just bearing an incredible burden for themselves. They're fighting for their, their country, their freedom, their families, but they're also fighting for our freedom. And I think that's important to remember that Putin has made pretty clear that this is not, he does have an obsession with Ukraine. He wants to bring Ukraine into the fold of Mother Russia. He has made this very clear that he is Peter the Great's heir, as he said two weeks ago. And it's his, perhaps it's his destiny to bring in all of these lands back to Russia. And when he says all of these lands, he's not just talking about Ukraine. He's talking about countries further west. And I think we need to remember that because Putin's pattern, whether it was Chechnya in 2000, then Georgia 2008, where he grabbed two hunks of Georgian territory, same with Ukraine 2014, where he illegally annexed Crimea and then started the war in Donbass, took a pause because we actually took action finally in 2014 instituting sanctions, kicking him out of the G7. That was startling, I think, to Putin. And he paused and regrouped. And he came back for war in 2022 because he was able to absorb it. He had gotten away with it all along. And I think that's the lesson we need to be taking when we look at the recent past, Putin's reign, shall we say, that he he has very ambitious um, imperialistic goals. And he is ready to wait He's ready to wait us out. And if we do not impose sufficient costs, he will keep on going. And he, his goal is to bring Ukraine in, but his goal is other countries in, in what we now consider to be Central Europe. And it's also the international order, which he feels doesn't really work for him. He wants a might makes right world. And forget about sovereignty for smaller countries. Forget about viability of borders for smaller countries. Forget about all of that, unless, of course, Russia is somehow that doesn't apply to the larger countries. And big countries get to do what they want. Little countries have to put up. That makes for a much less safe and secure world for all of the rest of us, including Americans. We will be less secure. We will be less prosperous. Imagine what that will do to the supply chain. And we will be less free. So this directly, I mean, Ukraine is a country far away, but what happens there really influences what happens to us in years going forward. And I would just say that stopping Putin, stopping Russia in Ukraine is far better than having to do it at another time and another place at some point in the future. The consensus seems to be that Putin was surprised that this did not take four days for him to conquer another sovereign country. What do you think are the miscalculations that he made leading up to the war? And what are the miscalculations that you think the United States should try to avoid Now, are there other similar sort of mental traps that the United States and the Biden administration should avoid falling into? Yeah, I think Putin made three fundamental miscalculations. The first is that he had the biggest, baddest military in the world and they could take 
any country pretty quickly. And that proved to be false. Although, as we are seeing now in the Donbass, they learned their lessons from the first phase of the war and are basically conducting a very different kind of war in Donbass. The second is that Ukraine... Uh, Ukrainians are not a real people. They are little Russians, as they say in Russian, that they that Ukraine is not a real country, even though there are multiple um, treaties and agreements and statements since um, 1991, when Ukraine and Russia both gained independence, where Russia recognized that Ukraine was a country with the borders of 1991. And I think the third thing was, I think he looked out at the international landscape And he thought, this is my time. The West is a mess. He looked at Biden. He saw this old guy who probably wasn't strong enough to to lead a unified opposition to what he was doing. Then there was the retreat from Afghanistan, which was not our shining moment. He looked at Angela Merkel, was gone, leaving the scene. And France was facing elections where it looked like maybe Macron would not win. And then the UK, Boris Johnson, enough said. I think he thought, this is my moment. You know, NATO has lost its calling. And I think he miscalculated. I think he miscalculated because he didn't understand that Joe Biden has 50 years of experience in international affairs. He knows everybody on the international landscape. He believes in alliances. He was ready to to wait and work with allies and partners until they were comfortable with instituting sanctions after Russia invaded, with providing security assistance and continuing to ramp up our support for Ukraine. And I think, obviously, there was a lot of diplomatic work that led up to those first moves right after Russia invaded Ukraine. But again, I think that Putin just didn't believe that was going to be possible. And I think he was very surprised. And miscalculations that the U.S. should avoid now that were a few months that Ukraine, again, first of all, but also, you know, those foreign leaders yeah. trying to support it. Should try yeah, to I mean, that is a really good question because, of course, <laughs> I'm an American. You know, it's hard for me to put myself outside of myself. But I think one of the things that I would say is that we look at Putin and we think he must be crazy. And I think that Putin is look, Putin and those around him, because he's not alone in this, are looking at things from a very different perspective. And from their perspective, which I think is an incorrect perspective, but nevertheless, it is what is forming their decisions or informing, I should say, their decisions. It's full of grievances. It's full of, I think, incorrect analysis. There's some evidence that the war plans that were put together were not made by the by the, the Russian military, but by mm-hmm. intelligence services. In other words, the people closest to Putin. And so I think there's they're looking at it from a different perspective, built on years of grievance and years of misunderstanding, plus the last couple of years of COVID isolation. And as we understand it, Putin has been very much in working with historians who have a very alternative view of history and they've influenced him. And then you have, again, an isolated leadership in a country that is not a democracy and not held to account in any way at all. And so the advice and information that he's getting is perhaps not complete. He clearly is not challenged. All we need to do is look back at that cabinet, the war cabinet meeting that was televised yes. right before yes. <laughs> where you got a bunch of grown men, powerful men, who are quaking in their boots that they too are going to be like Pornarishkin. I never thought I'd put those two words together. Humiliated and and perhaps losing power. These are not people who are going to stand up and tell the boss, 
hey, man, you're wrong. And these are the five reasons. And we really need to look at this. Putin has spent the last 20 plus years eviscerating the opposition, the free media, civil society, anybody that might stand up and tell him, you know, we need to be thinking this through again, boss. I just remember Colin Powell, when he was secretary of state, saying one of his 13 rules that if you're a boss and your team isn't bringing you bad news, you're not doing your job. Because right. that's your job, right? To fix the hard problems. Right. And I'm not sure to what extent Putin is getting bad news. Right. And that if you're not getting the right information, it's hard to make the right decisions. Whatever right is in mm -hmm. that Russian context, according to Russian great power people, which I think is probably different from the way we look at it. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale, might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
there were great concerns during the Trump years about American reliability, specifically from our European allies and partners. And I think, at least from conversations I've had, the jury is still out here in the Biden era as to whether or not one of the Biden administration mottos is that America is back. I think that has received more face value in some parts of Europe than others. What do you make of it? Do you think that if you were to go to Kiev or to Prague or to Paris and to represent the United States today, would you feel confident saying, yes, America is back? Yes, we're still the indispensable nation. We're a reliable partner. I think talk is talk and the walk is the walk. Yeah. And I think the Biden administration has walked the walk in terms of being a reliable partner. It, you can't just do it in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, great damage was done during the Trump years. It's amazing how quickly one can destroy something, the trust that allies had in the United States, and how long it takes to build back that trust. But here's what we've got. We've got a wellspring, I think, even among skeptics in the alliance that want us to be back. Mm-hmm. And I think what we need to do is prove that we are day in, day out through the workings of people throughout the administration, starting at Biden and going all the way down. I think that's pretty critical. And I would note the Pew survey that came out, I'm not sure when, a couple of weeks ago, indicating that people, I think it was 17 countries, people definitely did think that the U.S. is a reliable partner, mm-hmm. I think was the question. So finally, and switching gears slightly, your book is called Lessons from the Edge, and you write quite movingly in it about not just intellectually experiencing what happened to you during the Trump years and being thrown, like having done your job and yet being thrown into this truly unfortunate position and having people say things about you that wasn't true, having this this job taken from you and this, the emotionally processing that and the sorrow and the, the anger. I think, obviously, many people will never find themselves in that position. But I do think that there are many people today who are processing what's happening in the world, in their own country, America's foreign policy, America's domestic policy, with a similar sorrow and rage. And I would ask you, before I let you go, what lessons from the edge you would you would impart to them? Since this is the last question, I'm just going to answer in, a, in an optimistic way, which some of our listeners are going to say, she is such a Pollyanna. I think it comes from my years of being in diplomacy, where I Diplomats are fundamentally optimistic because what you do is every day you go in, you try to solve problems. And some of these problems, you're not going to solve them now. You're not going to solve them for another 20 or 30 years, not in your lifetime. But you try to lay the foundations for a future solution. You try to manage it so it doesn't become a crisis. And so you do that day in, day out. And sometimes, actually, you are lucky enough to be at in the room when an actual peace treaty is signed and there is an actual solution and then you get to implement it, which is the hard part. But I think to embark on that kind of a career, you have to be optimistic. And I am optimistic about the United States and more broadly about the world. I do think that we have challenges in the United States right now, and there's just no getting around that. And there are challenges in the world right now, really serious ones. But when I look at the world, I look at the Ukrainian people who have said, we are going to, in the words of Tarashevchenko, we are going to fight on and we are going to prevail. And you see them doing that day in, day out at enormous cost. And that gives me optimism about a people that I think have been underestimated, not just over the last couple of years or decades, but over centuries. They are going to prevail. One way or another, the Ukrainian people will prevail. And I look at the United States where our democracy has been challenged severely and continues to be challenged. 
And I work with young people and they are still enthusiastic. They are still idealistic. They are angry and they are ready to get in there. And when, as they finish their studies, they're getting ready to get in there and provide the solutions. And that gives me optimism as well, that we have survived a civil war by any measure. A civil war is more serious than where we are right now. We have survived the Cold War. We have survived all sorts of crises. We will survive and thrive as we move forward. And so I think it's important to keep that optimism, even when things things look grim. And I'm going to quote Colin Powell again. Another one of his 13 rules is optimism is a force multiplier. And I think that's absolutely correct, that if you go into something going, we're never going to fix any of this. Mm-hmm. It's all, all terrible, which I understand. And sometimes I have days like that as well. But you can't do that. You need to go into every challenge with, a, we have a plan, we are going to fix this. And that not only inspires you to keep on keeping on, but inspires the team to do that as well, that there, there is a better than even chance that we are all going to move forward together and, and there's going to be a positive outcome. I think optimism sometimes, especially when, it's, when things are toughest, sometimes it's just a discipline that mm-hmm. you need to get up in the morning and say, we are going to do this every day, every day. And I think then we will do it. And so I am optimistic about America and the world. On that optimistic note, we will leave it there. Ambassador Ivanovich, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Thanks a lot, Emily. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all of our international coverage, including the written version of this interview on newstatesman.com. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or even an enemy and rate us or leave us a nice review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. The team will be back on Thursday. And I am Emily Tampkin. Thanks for listening and until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.